running late for curfew? What are you doing? I'm making a late night sandwich like your grandma doesn't like me to. <laughs> your secret's safe with me. <laughs> Same. So how was your party? Lame. I don't get what's so special about New Year's. Oh, what's special about New Year's? Yeah, I mean, you stay up late, everyone says, Happy New Year, and then a ball drops. Let me tell you something. I remember a year uh, you were just born. It was a very difficult year. You may not believe this, but there was no toilet paper to be found anywhere. Gross. That wasn't even the half of it. People couldn't shake hands, they couldn't hug. You didn't want to leave your house or you're afraid you might get sick. And masks, everyone was wearing masks everywhere. You couldn't tell if somebody was smiling or frowning. That sounds weird. You, you couldn't go visit with family, not even at the, the holidays, you know? Then what happened? Well, that's the best part. Then God got us through it, just like he always does. That's why I like new. See, God says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. New, my dear, gives us a, a different perspective on things. Like on toilet paper, I guess. <laughs> I mean, just because it's new doesn't mean it's gonna be good. You're right, you're right. That is why we hold on to the words of Jesus, who said, uh, in this world you will have troubles. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. That boop is why we celebrate new. Hey, Grandpa. Mm -hmm. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Do you want to hate him or turkey? <clears throat> hope you all had a great Christmas, and I hope this week you were able to get out of like the rhythm of your normal day-to-day -day and have some fun. Maybe you got to eat what you want or sleep when you wanted to, got dressed when you wanted to, do what you want. I think comedian John Chris says it best. He said, December 26th through December 31, a week full of behavior that we're like, okay, fine, but I'm stopping this come 2024. <laughs> It's hard to believe that in just a few hours, 2023 is going to come to a close and a new year is going to begin. This week I was reading about some traditions that other countries celebrate for New Year. For instance, Scotland does what's called a first footing. A tall, handsome, dark-haired male should be the first visitor into a household after midnight. He comes in with a loaf of bread, a bottle of whiskey, and some coal. He puts the coal on the fire, he serves the bread and the drink to the family, and he wishes them a happy new year. And if this all happens right, it will bring good luck and prosperity to the household. For a small nominal fee, for those who would like our first footing this year, we can arrange to have Pastor Paul be the first, in, to be the first person in your house this year. Not tall, not dark haired, so no guarantees on the level of luck and prosperity. And, 2024. <laughs> in Denmark, people collect dishes during the year, and then they throw them out at the door on the front door of New Year's Eve. The more broken plates, the more one shall have, uh, more friends one will have in the new year. 
In Germany, people will drop molten lead into cold water to see what shape it takes in order to predict their future. A heart shape symbolizes marriage. A round shape means good luck. An anchor shape means you need help. And a cross signifies one's imminent demise. Here in the U.S., we have our own traditions as well. Free-flowing food and drinks symbolize the hope for prosperity. Popping bottles of champagne for a midnight toast is considered lucky, and it's festive. And let's not forget tuning in to Dick's Clark, Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve. Anyone watching that this year? Yeah? Um, watch that to watch the ball drop in Times Square. And, the, and then we start the new year off hoping for a better, happier, and more prosperous new year. <clears throat> It's times like this at the beginning of a year where we naturally stop to take some inventory of our life. We look back on what we've accomplished. We'll do a final reconcile of our bank statements and, uh, look, and close out the books for the year. And we look uh, at the year overall and we often render a judgment for that year. If the bank account's full and everyone's happy and healthy, there's no problems things are looking bright, we might determine that it was a good year. Even if, uh, however, if there have been problems or there's been challenges or hardships, we might say that it was a bad year. As we gather together on this last Sunday, I want to ask you a couple questions. What did this year bring you? While I'm sure there were some good times, my guess is there are some who cannot wait for this year to be over. Perhaps health issues have set you back, or you had the death of a loved one, or a difficult work environment, maybe a conflict or in relationship or financial woes has made this year very challenging. What do you hope for in the new year? What guarantee do we have that next year will be better? Do all our problems just magically disappear at the drop of that ball? Will all of our problems just magically go away? Or does our success in the new year really depend on who walks through that door or how much China we can smash? What hope do we have for a good new year? And more importantly, what is our definition and metric of good? Today, as we wrap up this year, our hope for the holiday, and we wrap up our hope for the holiday series, we turn to God's word one more time to lean and learn and understand on the promises of God. We're looking at Romans, uh, Romans chapter 8 this morning, and let me just give you a little bit of a background here to Romans chapter 8. Book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul was writing to the church in Rome. And it was probably around A.D. 60 in Corinth, which was most likely during his third missionary trip. Now, Paul was writing this at a time when the church was facing increasing persecution. Many had lost their, their jobs and their possessions, their homes. Some lost their family. They had lost their freedom. And many had lost their lives. People were looking for answers and hope and clarity in a time of uncertainty and upheaval. Romans chapter 8 helps, to set us, helps us to see as followers of Christ. We live and experience life differently because we live a life guided by the Spirit of God 
and our outcome will be different regardless of our current circumstances. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. We'll start there this morning. It says, The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're God's children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. What does that tell us? The Spirit of God reveals that you and I are God's children. What does a father do? A father protects. A father provides. A father helps provides purpose for his children. We are heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. Similar to an adoption process, but still waiting on the fullness and the completion of the status. We come under God's name. We come under God's protection. We come under God's love. And as a sign that we are co-heirs with Christ, the reality is is that there will be times when we may suffer and have difficult circumstances like Jesus did. But this also tells us that if we suffer, we also share in his glory. Let's read on a little bit. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. In other words, in the Christian life, suffering's a reality. Let's not make any mistake about that. Oftentimes, I think people come in with these ideas that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, and he does. But we often become misguided if we think that God has a wonderful plan for our life and there's not going to be any problems moving forward. Suffering is a sign of sin in the world. We naturally don't like to hear that word sin or even think that the idea that we are sinners. Hurts and habits and hang-ups reveal that you and I live in a broken world and you and I are broken people. And suffering is the evidence of that broken world, that sin in the world. Now, Now hear me when I say that. I'm not saying that your suffering is a result of uh, punishment for your sin. What Paul is referencing here is that this is original sin. The reality that our world, our life, our circumstances are often broken. But at the same time, God is at work preparing us for and preparing the world for what is to come something bigger, something more than we can fully understand and comprehend is the work of God that's happening behind the scenes. But for right now, in the midst of our suffering and our circumstances, there is a waiting period, a period where things are already established, but they're not yet complete. 
The already is we are counted and we're protected. We're under God's care. We're one of God's children. That's, that's being the heir of God. So in the midst of our circumstance, we are protected by God. The not yet, though, is the promise of what is to come and is going to be fulfilled. The already and not yet is you. How do we know this? Paul tells us because when we share in Christ's suffering, we also share in his glory. So we look at Jesus for a minute. Jesus' suffering on the cross was not the end. He was crucified, he was died, he was buried. But what happened on the third day? He rose again. Death could not hold him down. And in Christ, your circumstances will not hold you down or they will not destroy you. I met someone last week and uh, just before Christmas and uh, just having a little natural conversation and you know, started talking with them and asked them if they were ready for Christmas. And they had revealed that Christmas is not a, a great time of year for them and, and, and their family. And they had shared that two years ago, one of their children had taken their life on Christmas Eve doesn't matter the whole circumstance, but the bottom line is they made a terrible choice. They made a mistake in a time where they felt like there was no hope in their life. And I remember in that conversation, I started uh, over the last week since then, kind of filtering through what we're talking about here this morning and trying to make sense of, well, where was God in that circumstance? Just like that family has been asking for the last two years and hung up with God because they can't figure out how to get past the answer of where was God on that night for their child. Here's the truth. A situation like that leaves us with so many unanswered questions. And the best answer, the best answer is that there is something happening in our suffering while we wait that is preparing us for future glory. Here's what it tells us in Romans 8, 28. It says, we know in all things God works for those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Would you read that with me? And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The word for we know in the original language means to see, to perceive, and to know, not by our own personal experience, but by divine revelation. We know God works in all things for the good of those who love him, Because the Holy Spirit helps us to see that and know that. To have Paul's confidence of the promise of this verse requires the Holy Spirit to reveal it to us. What does the Holy Spirit reveal? John Stott, who is a well-known theologian, points out a couple things. First, we know that God is at work. God is at work in all aspects of this world and in our life. He is sovereign 
He is in control. Second, God is at work for the good of his people. Since God's nature and character is ultimately good, his work is a reflection of his goodness. And he is working to advance our goodness. Three, God works in all things. Now, Paul is not saying that all things are good. And he is certainly not saying that all things work for the good. Paul is saying that God works through all things, good and bad. Nothing is above or out of God's realm of control. God works in all things for the good of those who love him. Now, this is a promise that only we as Christians can claim. If we love God, then we take comfort in the fact that God is working for us, with us, and not against us. And finally, those who are described as those who love God have been called according to his purpose. Now, we may not understand what is happening right at the moment, and we certainly may not like it. But through the ebb and flow, the time in our life, in that waiting period, God is at work in the events of our life for a purpose. In his book, A Grace Disguised, Jerry Sitzer told the story of many years ago when his wife, his mother, and infant daughter were killed by a drunk driver one fateful night. And in years of working through the loss of each one of those family members, Jerry ended up writing a book on the other side of that time. And here's what he writes. He says, It is not, therefore, the experience of loss that becomes the defining moment of our lives. For that is inevitable as death, which is the loss that's awaiting us all. He said, It is how we respond to the loss that matters. That response will largely determine the quality, the direction, and the impact of our life. So in that waiting period of suffering, loss, and circumstance, God is at work for the good, doing something in it that we may not fully be able to see and understand right at this moment. But we trust in the hope of God, knowing that he is leading and guiding us for the greater good of our lives. One hang-up we tend to have is that when struggles and suffering come, we think that it is God doing something to us. About 10 years ago, my family went through an extremely difficult period. Long story short, my wife was falsely accused of something at her job, and it put our lives into a complete tailspin. Jamie ended up being forced to resign. Rumors had spread. Reputations were damaged. We immediately lost 50% of our income. We found ourselves needing to consult legal, uh, legal counsel and to figure out what legal steps we would have to take. 
And the hardest thing to do during that time was to not blame God. But I'm going to be honest. That's exactly where my thoughts went to. Why is this happening? What did we do? But when we read a text like Romans 8, it reveals several flaws in that way of thinking. And this was part of my process that as we went through that circumstance, these were the things that I figured out along the way. The first is that if we think that all of our problems will simply go away by trusting God, our theology is distorted. God never said we won't have problems. He said the opposite. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. If we think God rewards us for being good and punishes us for being bad, we no longer rely on a gospel of grace, but we rely on moralism. And the idea behind moralism is that good people get rewarded, bad people get punished. And when something happens in our life, we must not have been doing what God wanted us to be doing, living up to a standard. And when moralism is your identity, success goes to your head and failure goes to your heart. Religion says, do the right things to stay on God's good side. That's what religion says. The gospel says, in Christ, you are always on good size. Always on, yeah, you're always a good size. <laughs> you are always on God's good side, regardless of the circumstance. What I learned was that the question is not, what is God doing to me? That's moralism. Rather, it, was, it should be, what is God wanting to show me, to change in me? And how is this circumstance being used to bring about that change? Friends, here's the reality. God is far less concerned about the externals of your life. He's more worried about and more concerned about the internal work that he's seeking to change in your life. If we ask why, the answer becomes change. God is doing something in us, through us, in that circumstance, in order to bring about the best person that he's called each and every one of us to be as a believer. Look what it says in Romans 8, 29. It says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. He predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. God's purpose is a relentless pursuit of his people that began before the beginning of time. 
and will continue on until eternity. To understand God's purpose is important to point out that God in his sovereignty foreknew us. God is a God of order. He knew each one of us before, that begin, before the beginning of time. God predestined, he decided that we would be conformed to the likeness of his son. So God's purpose here is that we become just like Jesus. This is the process of glorification that's happening now, but not yet complete. It's the now, but not yet. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. This transformation begins here and now and will ultimately be brought to completion when the glory of Christ comes. We will be fully like Christ. So for now, this provides us the irrevocable assurance that each hour, each day, each year of your life is part of a whole. It's a narrative in which God is at work for us. God is at work in us. And God is at work through us, accomplishing his purpose. And though things haven't happened as we might have hoped this year, God is using those circumstances to conform us into that likeness of Jesus. Paul reemphasizes this thought when he writes in Philippians 1.6, he said, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus. God's work through all the circumstances in our life, good, bad, or indifferent, are in order to fulfill his purpose in us, which is for us to be more in the image of Christ. Holy, blameless, full. We just sang a song a few moments ago called Everlasting God, and it comes from Isaiah 40, 31. It says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will not run and grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Strength will rise as we wait on the Lord, that waiting period in our circumstance will strengthen us as we wait on the Lord. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, God does not give us everything we want, but he does fulfill his promises, leading us along the best and straightest paths to himself. That's what God is doing in our life today, regardless of the circumstance. So what does this mean for a new year, on the, tonight, on the eve of a new year? It's not God just making your life, things in your life better. God's making you better. The hope for the new year is that we have a God that is in control even when it seems like our life is out of control. Failure is not final. Though it may seem like it's been a long year and you can't wait for it to be over. 
There is nothing that get, that in that year that has gone to waste. God has been there through it all, every step of the way. Here's the big idea for this morning. Hope for a good new year comes from the assurance that God is working to completely transform you, not destroy you. It is, a, it is based on the promise of God that he's faithful and he's merciful and he continually sustains us by his grace. Another new year is another opportunity for God to make all things new. So over the next couple of days, I would encourage you to prepare for the new year and maybe try to consider one of these ways as you prepare for the new year. Maybe take some time over the next day or two to reflect. How did God guide and protect and provide for you over this year? Now, I'm not just talking about a quick five-minute mental recap while you're in the shower tomorrow morning. I'm talking about maybe a significant period of time where you can be alone, get quiet, and reflect. Maybe have a journal and write down some of your thoughts or maybe a pad and pad of paper and just jot down some bullet points. Ask God to show you his work in your inventory of your life. There is something powerful that happens when we get away from the noise and the busyness and the crowds in order to focus on God. That's when we begin to see God more clearly. And that's when circumstances in our life, we get to see how God was at work changing us, shaping us, and forming us. So reflect. Maybe it's an opportunity this year for you to reset. Rather than hoping for more prosperity and success in the new year, maybe we should focus on how can we align ourselves better with God's purpose. Maybe the question we ask is, how can I be more in line with God's purpose of, be, of, of me becoming more like Christ in the new year? Allow God to search your heart and confess maybe a sin that the Spirit reveals to you. As we do this, we take hope in the promise that comes from 1 John. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will purify us from all unrighteousness. We begin a year with a new slate, a new beginning, with the freedom that comes from the forgiveness of sin. Maybe you make a change this year to walk more closely with Jesus this year. Maybe you've been on the fence and you've never really made that decision to give your life over to God's care, God's forgiveness, God's grace, God's love. Maybe today will be the turn, that reset, where you reset your life and God begins to make you new. This year might be a great opportunity to join a small group or be part of the women's ministry or be part of the Guy Wire team or take a growth class for you to take next steps in growing and walking with God. In just a very few short moments, we have seven people they're going to reset their lives as they get baptized and profess public faith in Christ. We're going to celebrate that together. 
Every day is an opportunity to reset our lives with Jesus. Where he's making us new, he's making us whole. Finally, rejoice. Rejoice that God has given us life and that he has sustained us through another year. We rejoice that anything we have endured over this, yet, this past year did not overcome us. We rejoice in God's great love. We rejoice in what is to come, both now and the short term, in God's plan for us in eternity. Paul's sentiment at the end of Romans 8 is one of, the, is one of celebration. This is what he says in verses 38 and 39. He says, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height or death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. Nothing will separate you from the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing will separate you in the challenges that you face today. No circumstance is greater than your Lord. I don't know about you, but that gives me great hope and comfort that nothing can separate us from the love of God. From January to December, God has been faithful and he has not forsaken us. Let's pray. Grace, gracious God, we thank you for another blessing of, of, the, of another year where you give us life, you provide, you protect, you care for us. And though we may have had challenges along the way or deep despair, we hold to your truth, to your word, to your promise that you have not left us, you haven't forsaken us, that you're working for the good of those who love you. So we cling to that promise in the new year to give us hope, to heal us, to forgive us, to strengthen us, and to be marked as one of your children. Thank you, God, for 2023, and we look forward to the hope of a good 2024. And all God's people said together, amen. amen. <clears throat> we're going to move forward to um, a time where we're going to celebrate baptisms, where people give a public profession of faith in Christ, where they've realized that Jesus is the person that has forgiven their sin, that has given them new life, and they let their friends and family and church and community know that Jesus is their Lord. It's kind of like wearing this wedding ring. It doesn't do anything special other than mark us that we're a child of God. And today in front of this crowd, people will get into this tub and make that declaration that they are going public, that they are letting people know that they stand with Jesus. So we're going to go ahead and do that. In fact, I'm going to ask uh, my buddy Matt. Where's Matt? Matt Taylor, you'll be the first one. Come on down. You're the next contestant on the... 
I was like doing that Bob Barker thing. The next contestant on my Matt's been with us here for about three years, and we got to know Matt through uh, the Christmas lights and um, uh, just times that we've spent together. And uh, he's a person who understands faith, who understands Jesus, and um, wanted to mark this moment and this day with walking with Jesus for the rest of his life. So we get to do that. Matt, before you hop in, let me just ask you a couple questions. Do you believe that Jesus died for your sin? And you believe that he is for you, not against you. Yes. And are you committing to follow him for all the days of your life? Yes. All right, hop in. <clears throat> Matt, upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Gracious God, we thank you for Matt and his life and for the work that you're doing. And God, I pray that wherever you take him, wherever you lead him, that you would um, continue to be truth in his life, that you would be director, the director of his path, and that as he follows you, would he be an opportunity for people to see and know you personally as the hands and feet of Jesus. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. important and special decision today so I have a couple questions for you Zoe do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior yes and are you willing to follow him all the days of your life Sit on, sit on your bottom. Put your knees up here. <laughs> Put your knees up here. There you go. There you go. There you go. All right. I'm going to hold your hands and then I'm going to take you back. All right, Zoe, upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you so much for Zoe's life and for this amazing decision that she made today. And I pray that as she grows up, she stays close with you and she grows in your word and in her faith. Thank you so much for her joy and her enthusiasm and her love for you. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Where's Ben? Right here. Nice t-shirt. Nice t-shirt. Yeah. So Bennett Griffin grew up here at North River, recently has come back into our fellowship. And uh, you wanted me to pose the questions to you, right? Yes. So Ben, have you come to the place where you know for sure that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? I have. And that you want to follow him with your life and you want everybody in your life to know it? 
I have. You're going public with your faith? Yes. Okay, let's do this. Ben, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, we pray for Ben, and we ask that you will continue to be his strength and his joy, that you will be the rock in his life that he is sure of at all times, that you continue to give him confidence and hope every day, a hope that is worth sharing with others, and that you will lead him to a great future. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Ryan Dreyer, and Ryan has been dying to do this for months now. We've been talking about this. Do you want to say a word, or do you want me to throw the questions at you? Okay. Ryan, have you come to the point where you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, that he died for you, that he rose again to give you new life? I have. And you want everybody to know, especially your kids back there, that uh, you are following Jesus for the rest of your life? Yes. Ryan, based on your profession of faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Ryan, let me pray for you. Where are you? Father, we ask that uh, you will bless... Ryan and Cynthia and their kids, and we ask that you will allow this to be one of those days when Ryan has not only gone, gone public with his faith, but this becomes a, a mile marker where there is continued growth that comes from this point in his life. Thank you for what you're doing in him and through him and for the future. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you. Uh, Joan? This is Joan Judge. Joan, do you, do you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior and come to the place where you put your faith in him? Yes. And you want people to know that you want to be public about your faith and you're identifying with Jesus? Yes. Okay. Put your knees up here. Sit, sit your bottom. Joan, based on your profession of faith that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Father God, we pray for Joan, and I pray that you will allow her to discover and employ the spiritual gifts that you've given her. We ask that you will make her into a mighty woman of faith, that you will encourage others through her. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
And we have Joshua and Denise, husband and wife. Uh, Joshua and Denise Bernard, come on up, both of you. So Joshua and, and Bernice live here, uh, Denise live here in Pembroke. Joshua, I'll ask you first, uh, have you come to the place where you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Yes. And you want people to know that you are going public with your faith, that this is your choice and you want to follow him? Yes. Denise, let me ask you the same questions. Have you come to the point where Jesus is your Savior and your Lord and you put your faith in him? Yes. And you want everybody to know that, that you are going public with your faith today and you want them to them to know that you want to follow Jesus with your life. Yes. Okay. Josh, I'm going to ask you to go first. Joshua, based on your public profession of Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Denise, based on your profession of faith as Jesus, of Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And let me pray for you guys together here. Father, we pray for Denise and for Joshua, and we ask that you will bless them and guide them. Allow this decision they've made today in, in, in standing up and letting others know that they trust you and they're following you. Allow this to be one of those times that pulls them together in a new way and gives them hope together. We ask that you'll bless them and their entire family as they move forward in grace from this day on. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's celebrate these baptisms this day and this new year together with a final song.